Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Trig Watson. I am doing this from my cabin in the Holland Volendam, Holland America Line Volendam ship, uh, cruising through Alaska right now. It's raining outside on the on the final night, but um, that hasn't dampened the spirits of the people on board who are about to uh, enjoy a show by me in about 45 minutes. So, I hope it hasn't dampened their spirits, because um, if, the, if the rain hasn't, my act might. So we'll see. Uh, either way, I've enjoyed my week here, my first week in Alaska, and uh, the interview today is with uh, one of the other acts on the ship, a magician named Trig Watson, and he was a, a nice young fella, uh, originally born in Australia and lived there till he was 11, and then moved to Texas or uh, Louisiana, which was a big switch. He moved to Louisiana and then to uh, Texas for college. So uh, he's been around a bit in his uh, young life and uh, has performed in the Middle East. He's performed uh, all around the world. So interesting guy, nice guy. But before we get to Trig, I want to tell you about the website, which is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and you can see uh, photos of Trig and all our other guests. You can uh, see links to his social media, and, of course, you can click on links to our social media, which is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcasts on Instagram, Twitter, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, and our Facebook page, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. Like us, follow us, do what you got to do. There are also links to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe to this show, and, of course, iTunes. And if you go to iTunes, please give us a good rating, please. That boosts our presence, which helps people find the show. And uh, leads to more and more people finding the show, which is always a cool thing. So if you can say a few nice things or uh, give us a star rating, takes no time at all, costs you nothing, and I've never charged you because I, of course, am a bad businessman. All right. Uh, Trig, like I said, very talented magician, has worked all over the world, and uh, it was a pleasure to meet him on the ship. And I think you're going to like him just like I liked him. Please welcome the funny and talented Trig Watson. It's magic, you know. Never believe it's Trig Watson. Now, Trig Watson is a great showbiz name. Thanks. Did your parents know that by the when they named you? They're like, this kid is going to be in show business or he's going to be a rodeo cowboy. Well, it, it is and it isn't. Uh, my full name is Trig Watson Burridge. Uh, and Trig Burridge are two words you probably ne never said before, so I simplified it. You know, the ele elementary, my dear Watson, is a good thing. No, it's good. Uh, but the problem is being named as Trig as a magician is that it sounds like trick. Right. So, like, I tell people I'm a magician, and then I tell them my name, and they're like, oh, trick, that's cute. Is that your magic name? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I like it uh, as long as they see it spelled out. Although Trick Watson, not a bad name either. It's kind of like a, a great showbiz name, it's although it's, it's a little on the nose as a magician. A little on the nose, right. yeah. Um, so you're originally from Australia. Right, yeah. I was born in a little town, a little place called Townsville, which is a little redundant. 
Wait a minute, is that like halfway up the coast on the East Coast? Yeah, it's south of Cairns. Yeah, yeah, four yeah, hours south of Cairns. So. I've actually been there. I went to yeah. the Whitsunday Islands right oh, there, wow. and then because yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I dove and stuff there, and I think sure. I took a little sailing trip there, and I stayed at some youth hostel there. This was 20 years ago, by right, the way. Right, yeah. Does Magnetic <laughs> Island ring a bell by any chance? That's a popular place right off the coast. To I probably went there. You know, we sailed by, it was just a little sailing day, you know, but uh, I stayed overnight on Fraser Island right. as well. Yep, sure. No, it's a great place to grow up. Um, you know, beautiful tropics, you know, right by the rainforest as well. And uh, yeah, I'm certainly glad I spent my childhood there. So when did you leave? Uh, I moved to the USA in, when I was 11 in 2001. Oh. Uh, was that a bummer? It was. I mean, I, I'm glad I moved when I did because the opportunities I got professionally and creatively have certainly you know surpassed what I would have ever had in, in Townsville. Um, but I really am very grateful that I grew up there. It was a great place to spend my childhood. Um, and uh, I have an American mom. That's what stimulated the uh the move we've got family in the northeast so to get closer to new england we moved to louisiana <laughs> what okay oh let's back this up so how did your mom who's from louisiana no, no she's from, from new england she's from yeah. massachusetts so how did she end up in in australia it's a very good question so uh they my parents uh both met at the university of delaware um, my dad was getting his phd in physical oceanography as one would. As one would, and yes. And he's Australian. And he's Australian, okay. yep. Uh, and he whished her back to Australia, and she figured if it didn't work out, it'd be a great story. Yeah, absolutely. But did it work out? Did they stay together? It did work out. Okay. 15 years in a marriage and two kids later, they were all happily there. So. Okay. So let's go back to when you're 11 and you make that big move. What struck you about, had you visited America at all before that? Yeah, we'd visited family in New England, but we'd, I mean, moving from, you know, Australia to Louisiana, you know, the, you know, Bible Belt South was a total culture shock. In some ways it was, some ways it wasn't. We kind of, we always joked that I moved from crocodile and cyclone country to hurricane and alligator country. Um, so. And two, uh, two accents that nobody could understand each other. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. Both very Southern accents in different <laughs> ways. Um, but, uh, I mean, culturally, obviously, a big, you know, big shock, just total, totally different, you know, the Cajun culture and, um, you know, just dialect, you know. Well, I always tell people, like, from uh, foreign countries that there's only a few uh, cities in this country that are, like, you know, really unique to themselves. And New Orleans is one of those places that, that's because so many American cities tend to look alike. Right. But New Orleans is like nowhere else, you know, and that whole culture down there is completely different than the rest of the country. Right. And I didn't really have an appreciation for that until I moved to uh, Dallas to go to college. And then I realized that, oh, geez, you know, New Orleans said so much, you know, where's all the stuff? Where's all the history? You know, because New Orleans is a fascinating place because it was it's been a Spanish, a French and an English colony at different times. So it's very European, has that, that, you know, real oomph to it. And, you know, the found founding place of jazz and, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, Dallas is such a young city in comparison that, it, you know, it doesn't have the same richness that, that New Orleans has. And you move down there, the redheaded, whitest kid they've ever seen down there. And uh, was it, I mean, you say it's a cultural, it was a shock. What, what specifically shocked you, if that you can remember? Yeah, I mean... Uh, the TV, I'm, I'm sure, was much, much more to choose from. I suppose so. Although I had hippie parents, we never turn, really turned on the TV. Oh, anyway, really? But, yeah, but no. I mean, I, I think the, the just the style of interacting and speaking, you know, was was different. I mean, you know, New Orleans, you know, that area is the sort of place that you know you first arrive there, and the first question you get asked is, "Oh, well, welcome. What church have you joined?" You know, it's just that. Yeah, it's all is, through the South. Really. Yeah, very much so. Um, 
but that was also nice. It was just something we hadn't experienced before. And, you know, we kind of we started going to church and, you know, got wrapped up in that whole culture. And, you know, I really gained an appreciation for just the community and the, you know, really, you know, wonderful, really caring people. When did the magic start? Uh, so, Which is a loaded question. That sounds yeah. really when, when did the magic happen? So I got my I did not get my Hogwarts letter at like, you know, 11 like Harry Potter did. But um, I saw my first magician when I was four. I was at a friend's birthday party. Uh, I from what I remember, he had a in Australia, we had these candies called Minties. Does that ring a bell? Do you remember? No, I know like, you had Tim Tams. Okay. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these are these are you know mint flavored candies, uh, called Minties, because every all Australians are they like know. Mentos? No, no, no they're not. They're Minties. Okay. All Australians just, they just put e on the end of any yeah. word. And, Mozzies, you know. uh, Sunnies, Bordies, yeah, uh, yeah Aussies. Did you, yeah. did you have a Becky for Brecky on Chrissy yeah. in the Yarro? <laughs> um, that's all you need to do to speak Australian. But anyway, so he had these little candies and he made them appear under these different cups. And I remember the this minty disappearing out of my hand, and that that was amazing to me. Um, Went to the library, got some magic books, and just kept working on it. And you didn't know your ears had quarters behind them either. I didn't then. know that. No, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. So did you see much of it on TV in Australia? Yeah. I mean, I would watch David Copperfield on television. Oh. You know, he was the big thing in the 90s. You know, he had those uh, annual specials, and we had them recorded on videotape. And I, I'm amazed that the videotapes, you know, survived, but I just, <laughs> like, watched them endlessly. Right. Yeah. And you went to college in Dallas. That was SMU? Yeah, I went to SMU. Yeah, which is another Why culture there? shock. They gave me money to oh, go there. okay. So that was, you know, my mom said I could go anywhere as long as I got a full ride. So I thought, oh, well, well, thanks. That mom. opens Appreciate it up. It. Yeah. <laughs> so That's I applied amazing. to... What I, was the... For academic, you got it? Uh, yeah, well, just general nerdiness. Not I a think. magic scholarship. No, I wish. That would have been <laughs> awesome. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I applied everywhere. Applied to like 30 different colleges. And um, Tulane was a, another one that, you know, was a possibility. But that was in New Orleans and it was kind of right. wanted to go somewhere new. Um, but I, I did a lot of stuff in high school. I was kind of the, you know, overachiever. I, I, it was more, it was an ego thing. I needed to prove to the world that I could do everything. Because right. that's what I thought, you know. You were a Max Fisher uh, kind of uh, Rushmore Forgive me, I don't know the reference. Rushmore, You're... the movie. Uh... I missed it. I haven't oh, seen Rushmore. Oh, it's a good movie. I'm going to have to, I'll add that to my yeah, list. Wes That's Anderson. That's all we do on cruise ships is, yeah. you know, watch movies and do shows. We've got a lot of time. We've got some time, yeah. Uh, so you go, to, you go to SMU. Yep. And that was uh, four years? Did you get in and out yeah, in four, four years? four years, yeah. Uh, I had to because that was all the money that, you know, I couldn't afford to, I couldn't have been able to afford there unless I was on scholarship. Um, but Did, it, did S- you travel around uh, Texas at all? A little bit. I mean, you know, travel down to Austin for different things, been to Houston. Um, but, I, I, you know, I haven't really explored. I feel like real Texas is outside of the cities. You know, you kind of drive through there on the way right. to Austin. You see the ranches and, you know. What was your take on Dallas? I can't get a full I, – I, every time I'm there, I can't get a full ride. I can't – Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it, it doesn't, I don't know what it is, really. Yeah, it doesn't reveal itself – very quickly. I mean, you really, like, it really does just feel like big corporate buildings and, you know, sort of nothing, you know, not a whole lot of exciting landscape. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate to be living right in the city and, you know, I, I just through my university, you know, experiences have a lot of friends that are actors and artists and, you know, it's a, Dallas is an exciting place because it's not really an established art scene or music scene. So there's a lot of young people that are really working hard to create one. And that's kind of exciting to be a part of. Um, there's some cool neighborhoods growing up. It's it's interesting. I feel like people feel like Dallas is becoming more Austin-y. Right. You know, Austin is known for the small, you know, independent arty types and the music and the food trucks. And Dallas is kind of taking some of that uh, for its own. I heard that about Fort Worth, too, though. 
Like, yeah, well, I mean, if you look, they're sort of sister cities. Dallas is is classically very new money, oh, okay. um, you know, known as a bit more preppy. Fort Worth sort of considers itself real Texas. You go to Fort Worth to go to the rodeo or go to the two-stepping <laughs> place. You know, Dallas, you're just going to go to Whole Foods and then you're going to go to an uptown bar later. Like, it's not, you know, it doesn't <laughs> right, have the same right. umph to it. Well, how does a – I was wondering this about uh, magic because I know how to comedian – I know how to comedian gets started in the business. You know, you go to your open mics and then you start, you know, going to a bunch of open mics around town. Right. And then maybe you audition at a club and then you start as an MC or whatever. Yeah. Uh, how does a magician go about doing it? How do you get started in the business? Where do you go? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm sort of envious of the comedy scene in some ways. Uh, a, a few years later, when I moved to Dallas after going out of uh, leaving college, I thought, well, maybe I'll do a few open mic nights. As you know, as a as a magician, comedy is sort of a parallel skill. You need to be able to hold your own. You know, tell a few jokes on the way to the magic that happens. <laughs> um, and in going into open mic nights, I realized, like, man, this is great. Like, you just there's no secret to it. You just do open mic nights for ten years until you're good enough, and then you just slowly work your way up. It felt like it was a very obvious system, and for magic, it isn't so much. Um, I mean, I can only speak to how I did it. Uh, I started off doing kids' birthday parties, you know, little, you know, getting. I guess paid, that's common, right? Yeah, I mean, getting paid twenty bucks to, you know, I mean, I guess magic is often seen as a as com- more commonly a kid's hobby. Um, so it's natural that, you know, that's sort of the obvious market when you're little. Um, I mean, at eight years old, I was, you know, going all around town. My mother was stuck driving me from gig to gig. <laughs> at eight? At eight? At, yeah, yeah, seven or eight years old, I was already yeah, doing doing birthday party gigs. And my mother started charging a commission for gas because she realized that, you know, she was playing bus driver. And I had a really She's taking good taking her agent 10%? Right, exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, and I wasn't even paying taxes. You know, I was like essentially <laughs> making more proportionally than my parents were. Um but yeah, so did birthday parties, all, you know, just kind of cut my teeth in the backyard, you know, summer camps. And I just kept, I mean, anyone who wanted to hire me to do a little show, I, you know, I'd spent all through high school. I worked restaurants where I would go from table to table performing magic, you know, for the customers while they're waiting for their meal, um, <laughs> sort of unsolicited entertainment. And now, yeah. were you hired or you just bothering people before they eat? You, yeah, no. Okay. They, uh, so the restaurant, you you knew you were doing this, right? Okay. I would walk into them, yeah, and uh, get hired. You know, they paid me, uh, you know, a couple, a few, a little bit for an hour, and then I or a couple hours, and then I'd make tips after that. But I mean, that was the best training ground. I mean, you know, the strongest performers, I feel like, are those that can engage with an audience. And I got very comfortable at a relatively early age, as a as a teen, walking up to a table of strangers who are not expecting to see a show. And then in five minutes' time, make them feel comfortable, make them like me, and be open to seeing you know what I have to share with them, and getting them applauding and clapping afterward, and then maybe paying me a tip. And that practice of doing that for two hours straight, going to complete strangers every table, it forces you to get very comfortable just with you know analyzing the dynamics. It's sort of like any audience, you know. You I would arrive at a table of lawyers, you know, up at their, and I'd figure <laughs> out okay, who's the alpha male here? Who if I get him around, who can who yeah, can bring go the for the, the boss first? Yeah, exactly. And same with kids, you know, finding ways, all right, how do I get a teen who's stuck their head in their phone? How do I get them out and engage with what's going on? So that sort of work, I think, made me a better performer on stage as a, you know, as for, as I went into larger theaters and things like that. Is there a road circuit for magicians like there is for comics? Like, you know, I was on the road the 40 weeks a year right. starting out, but uh, I never saw, I worked with some magicians who would do comedy clubs, right? but not as many. I mean, so I don't know. Where do you go? How do you go from like kids' birthday parties to now you're on a cruise ship? Where, right. What's the middle ground there? Yeah, well, I kind of wish there was a middle ground, but I'm not really sure there is. I mean, 
if you're right, I think I think because magic is such a small craft proportionally to the amount of comedians out there or actors or singers, you sort of find magicians uh, clinging onto other art forms and using those venues. So there are a lot of magicians that work comedy clubs. I work a comedy club um, in Dallas. I do a Sunday afternoon show uh, and share the stage with other magicians each week. And that's been a training ground for me. I've also taken my magic to open mic nights. You know, I have a comedic sort of you know approach to my magic um, that can work in a comedy club setting. Uh, I've also found myself working like, you know, music festivals where I'm the weird, interesting opening act before the concert. Um, and then there's, you know, there's theater festivals like, you know, fringe festivals. You might have heard the one in Edinburgh, you know, places like that. Did, that you, often... do, did you do Edinburgh? I haven't done Edinburgh, oh, no, but I've done some. There are other fringe festivals throughout the U.S. There's a New York fringe festival. There's a Indianapolis fringe festival. Um, there's one in you know, Chicago, L.A. Um, and I've done my I've taken my show to fringe festivals, which are usually, you know, pieces of theater, but also have one man shows. And I am essentially a one man show. So, yeah, I've kind of scraped together, I guess, what you would consider a, like a road circuit or somewhere to try out new material without there really being a magician's like classic, you know, road to success that you know, there are in other art forms. Give me your uh, biggest uh, hell gig story for a festival. For, well, I'm not what sure was the worst best. festival? I or think, the worst? Give me any good hell gig yeah, story for a magician. Yeah, I think my best hell gig uh, story for uh, magic in general would be a recent cruise contract. It was for my first uh, Disney cruise ship. Okay. Uh, and I arrived in uh, Canada, in um, uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia, at 1 a.m., tiny little town. I was supposed to board the ship the next morning, and only one of my three checked bags arrived. Oh. As a magician, you know, our show is our props. You know, that's half the... half the. Yeah, the, this is where I don't envy you guys going through airports. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mike, you've seen my show. You, you, If you think back, most of my show are pretty much household items. Like, I'm not right. the sort of magician that has big flashy boxes with tigers in them. So that sort of went to my, you know, helped to my advantage. I ended up just going to Walmart, you know, nearby. <laughs> I took a taxi early in the morning before I... I boarded the ship and spent about 150 bucks on household supplies ranging from, you know, cups, you know, plastic cups to felt to hot glue. And I just I bought a bed sheet and tore it into little tablecloths and, you know, hot glued ribbon to the sides for, to, you know, to make a nice drape <laughs> and basically rebuilt my entire show just with one or two trips to, you know, local stores. Um, and it was kind of I was kind of proud of it, but it certainly wouldn't be something I'd want to do on every gig. If you had if they completely lost it. Uh, all your stuff, and you had nothing going out there. What could you put together in an hour to uh, fill your forty-five minute show? I mean, would it be? I mean, there's also there's always a deck of cards somewhere. Sure. Yeah. And I guess there's. I mean, but on the we play these big theaters that a lot of the close-up stuff they won't see. You sure. know. So how do you yeah. fill this big stage without all that stuff? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, well, give me give me a paperclip, a stick of bubble gum, and uh, one thing of dental floss. <laughs> MacGyver. Give you Twenty minutes of entertainment. Comedy MacGyver. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I you know, I'm I'm fortunate that you know I've been doing it long enough to where you know even though I don't have you know uh, you know a, a consistent you know uh, my current repertoire is pretty reliant on, on certain props, but I have this Wikipedia knowledge of all these different you know routines. I, if I look around the world, I think as a magician, you just look at things differently. I walk into a store and I look at things that could be magic props. Like I can think of a million things that I could probably do in this room with just everyday objects you know around me, and that would be to my advantage certainly if <laughs> I needed to create a show in a short amount of time. Have you done shows in front of crowds? You know, we get a international group of people on these ships have you done one when hardly anybody speaks english uh i've certainly done one where 
a certain number of people didn't speak English, and every now and then you make the mistake of getting one on stage. You know, it's difficult to tell. So uh, <laughs> it does force you to be very aware of you know the audience that you're performing for. And as I'm performing, I'm looking for people that seem to be responding to you know my my words, <laughs> so that if I do get them up on stage, you know I'll know that they'll be a safe volunteer. Um, I, I you know I'm booked on ships that are predominantly English speaking. Uh, I I think it'd be a fun just creative exercise to create a show that didn't rely on the on on the English language, um, but not something I've attacked yet. I've worked with guys like that at the Comedy Magic Club down in Hermosa. Yeah, and uh, some guys they they don't speak at all, and right. it's all music. Sure, and and so they do it. Yeah. And I was like, man, I looked at him and like, this guy can work. Anywhere, you know, do those cruises in China and corporate gigs and, you know, wherever. Right. And I was like, I was envious of in, in that point. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a lot of props and a lot of stuff. Sure. And you got to get the music cues right. But yeah. still, I was like, boy, that guy can work anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in the world of magic, it's quite common for magicians to have what they call a silent act. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's sort of coming out of the, the history of, you know, vaudeville and lounge acts that had these, you know, acts to music with a band behind them. But most magic competitions consist of acts that are done to music. And there's a huge uh, magic competition held every three years called FISM, which is essentially the Olympics, but for magicians. Uh, And all through my teenage years, apart from doing my show, I also competed with an act that was done entirely to music. And that act has been useful because I have been booked on variety shows and, you know, shows outside of the U.S. that were not all English speaking. And that was the act that I relied on. And I've gotten booked as a result of it. How many other countries have you performed in? Um, Not we don't count Canada. Sure. Uh, well, the the, <laughs> or the Caribbean islands. I mean, we've all done that, right? Well, I mean, thanks to the cruise ships, you know, it's it's been a lot. Uh, the earlier this year, I did um, an Asian tour, so we went uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia. Ooh, that sounds great. Yeah, except we didn't make it to Indonesia because there was a terrorist threat in oh. Jakarta. Jakarta, but um, I mean, that said, I wasn't performing on those countries. I was performing. In the um, ocean yeah. near them. Uh, I mean, I've performed... I lived in London for a little while and did a lot of um, sort of the you know, underground kind of nightclub. Oh, you didn't say... See, now we're learning here. We can talk about London a bit. I love London. Sure, yeah. London How long too. were you there? I lived there just two months, so it's hardly... Okay. I don't know if I, I don't know if living is the right word. Well, that's but, nice. What part yeah. of town? Um, I lived up in the just in the financial district, district uh, Nito Spitalfields. Oh, yeah. Central. I was just there uh, yeah. on the cruise. I met my friends for lunch in Spitalfields. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I loved every bit of it there. Uh, I, I, what brought me over there was a you know college internship, but I ended up working. I ended up performing more than I would have expected. I did a lot of stuff in Soho. These like you know nightclubs that would have you know an evening show before they turned into a you know a classic club afterward. Is there a difference in style, say, by, of a British musician, British magician to say a U.S. magician? Yeah, it's actually magic around the world is fascinating. It really does vary. Uh, in London, because of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The whole UK, I feel like, especially in magic and maybe comedy as well, has this culture of preparing a new show to then take to the Fringe Festival. So, I mean, British acts are quite commonly stand-up sort of feeling, uh, parlor-esque, you know, not you know Vegas-style flashy music and uh, things like that, more verbal. More um, vaudeville, kind of. Yeah, more vaudevillian, yeah, sure. Um, and as a result, I, you know, there's just more of a scene of people workshopping shows. You know, actually, people will still, in London, go out, for an evening out, we'll go see a variety show with a juggler, a comedian, and a magician, and then, you know, 
you know, stay out afterward and go dance or whatever. And that's not something you see in the U.S. You know, it's all football games, you know, and beer in the backyard uh, or, you know, watching America's Got Talent. There's not, there, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's not that same, unless, you, you know, New York or Chicago, there's neat yeah, little people markets. go out more. Yeah, yeah but you, I think there's just a little bit more of an emphasis on live entertainment. Now, if you ask someone in the U.K., they would probably disagree, but they just have no idea how good they have it in comparison to the U.S. Right. Um, in Spain, magic uh, is a little bit more close-up oriented, meaning it's much more common to see magicians performing it around a table. There's this improvisational style to them where they will kind of make it up as they go along. And that's thanks to just a, you know, a couple of big names in Spain that have created this style of, of close-up magic performing, very focused on cards. Um, and then, you know, in China, magic is much more, is presented much more uh, with emphasis on the, the manipulation or like the juggling, you know, high dexterity uh, and often choreographed to music. So if you go to these, you know, like I, I was lucky enough to take my, um, my show to uh, Italy last year or my act to Italy for this big World Olympics of Magic um, and performing side by side with acts from Korea and, um, you know, uh, Italy and uh, London and UK, or everywhere, every country imaginable, you really got a sense of, okay, here's the different styles, and you could pinpoint where someone was from based on just the style of act they had. I can't, I don't think I've ever seen a Chinese or, or any Asian magic show. Well, I'll I mean, have to, I'll have to culture you. Right. Uh, but they're, uh, it's they keep winning everything. I mean, they're, oh, really? They're, yeah, there's, magic is a, is a little bit more of a recognized art form in, uh, in Asian countries. China, definitely, uh, South Korea as well. Uh, they're actually schools of magic. And um, there's there's just more of an emphasis on mentorship. You know, these you know master magicians will have a, a school or a company that they'll teach other people to, and they'll practice eight hours a day. And you know they'll so it's they, like a martial art. Yeah, I mean, so they keep schooling all these you know in these competitions. They and keep their dojo, up. my magic dojo. Yeah, and they they have these amazing acts. I mean, you know, just incredible sleight of hand. You know, like done done on stage. But where, you know, where they have the, you know, eight balls, you know, in between their fingers that just keep changing colors and disappearing and then reappearing and then turning into a dove and, you know, just amazing <laughs> stuff. Kind of taking the classic, you know, magician we would think of of the, you know, 50s and 60s in the U.S., you know, the coattails, you know, and silk handkerchiefs. And they've kind of taken those principles and just made them, you know, made them even more amazing, uh, taken those concepts and built on them to a point that they're unrecognizable. So the cruise ships you did in Asia... Where it was mostly an American or still, well, still, English speaking, uh, yeah, a lot of Aussies, I'm sure. Audience, yeah, a lot of Aussies, a lot of Brits, a lot of Canadians, and Americans as well. Um, the the furthest afield I think I've gone culturally and actually performed in a, a farther away country was Bahrain. Wow, um, I I was at the time Middle, I, Middle Eastern magic. Yeah, I had no idea. Okay. Yeah, at the time I was working. I, I had a day job before I was a magician. I was working in business consulting. I was still performing on weekends, but you know that was my day job. And while I was at the job. I got an email uh, from a Canadian agent inviting me or asking if I had a show that uses iPads and technology. They'd seen a YouTube video of mine, and I said, yes, I do. You know, and Do I? Yeah, do I, absolutely. And as far as you know, she yes, was, I do. Yeah, send me to I'll go write one now. Right, exactly, which is essentially what happened. So uh, <laughs> I convinced someone to give me, convinced my boss to give me PTO, just told him I was going to go on vacation, when in reality I ended up winning this you know, uh, contract to perform for this huge technology convention in Bahrain. It was funded by the government. So by night, though, I was having to be on conference calls as this, like, you know, U.S. analyst, you know, taking notes 
but by day, my face was on posters with my showtimes in Arabic. <laughs> I was on Bahrainian national television. And then I get back, pretended I'd been on vacation the whole time. They had no idea that I was secretly in Bahrain. <laughs> I think they just thought I was visiting family in Wisconsin or something. You know, right. it was that was the craziest experience. Well, I met the met the prime minister. Oh, really? Uh, I have these awesome pictures of yeah, me meeting. And there, you know, it was re- it was culturally, it was just a fascinating thing to find myself in. I mean, I was everyone was in you know classic you know robes and mm-hmm. you know turbans and and I just. You know, looking out of my audience, there were like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it all men? Was it all men? No, not all men. No, there were some school groups that came in, um, and you know, men and women, you know, in business that were there. Um, But just amazing to. I think one of the wonderful things about magic is because it is often a little bit more visual than comedy is that you realize that it really is a universal art form. You know, people kind of like uh, you know music. You know, people would respond in the same way. You know, that they respond anywhere. That was really special. So, uh, how long? It was only like two days in Bahrain. No, it was. I was actually there for a week, um, five days of shows, and had a little bit of time on either side. What's the country like? I've never been there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's. I mean, economically, very. It's a big financial hub. Um, dry, desert-like. I mean, the the center. You know, the city itself is you know high rises and very cosmopolitan. Um, but, you know, just meeting people there, you know, it's fascinating. A lot of young people really have two homes. They have, you know, they still have a big, an area, much more focused on, you know, big family, everyone living together. Um, but then they'd also have their apartments in the city. So they, you know, by during the week, they'd be, you know, living a very, you know, city oriented life. But then it was expected in the weekends that they were back home with, you know, their extended family all in the one home. Mm-hmm. So that was really neat. So, um, on the Asian one, yeah, I keep going back to the Asian one because I always want to take an Asian I always I love Asia and I would always go back if yeah, they offered yeah, me yeah. one, but I haven't done one yet. I, it was were there comics on that on board, and were they mostly Aussies or Brits? Yeah, uh, no, there weren't, and I think it's because there was such a, a, a diversified audience. You know, I, I think they often do book magicians and you know jugglers or acrobats. Right, it's safer that way. I'm sorry to say, over comedians. No, I get you know, it. In, that, in that situation, because yeah, it's difficult. It's a lot more universal. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, humor is a very subjective thing. Yeah, but that said, I'm very thankful that I was born in Australia and have that Australian citizenship because it it allowed me to you know relate a little bit more, I think, to the audience than if I just came across as this bloody Yankee that was on <laughs> stage. Right. You know. Um, so do you have two passports? I do actually. Yeah, I have dual oh, citizenship because I had an American mother and an Australian dad, so that worked out. Has that ever come in really handy? Well, I feel uh, at like, an depending on who wins the presidency, yeah, I, might. Come in really, I might borrow it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, even though I didn't get to perform there uh, in in Vietnam, that was my favorite port and my favorite place to visit. Where did it go? Hanoi? Did it go? Or? Well, it did go. It went to Ha Long Bay, which is just outside well, I, of Hanoi. I went to Ha Long Bay. Did you? Yeah, beautiful. Um, but I, I also just was lucky enough to be kicked off the cruise ship by the cruise line because they needed to make room for another performer. So they actually paid for me to be in Ho Chi Minh City for two days. So I just got like a two-day oh, nice. uh, stay in the city. And, you know, if you perform on cruise ships, often you are stuck at port. But I actually got – I had a friend who lives in Vietnam now, and he took me around. And, you know, it was – that was definitely the highlight, I think, of my trip, getting to, you know, have yeah. that two-day stay. I love Vietnam. I've been there yeah, a couple yeah. times. The street food was amazing. You know, so we, we did that a motorbike street food oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> tour, which is great fun. And did yeah. you go to the tunnels outside of town? The Coochie? No, we didn't make it to the tunnels. Okay. No, but I did go to the um, the war the, museum. Uh, the war museum, which That's is fascinating. Hard to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the name of the museum is the War of American Aggression, and I think uh, do a lot of apologizing on the way out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, but that said, they're also very, you know, they're they they were very welcoming and very friendly, and uh, you know, treated treated us with a lot of respect. And you know, I think 
there there's obviously a lot of pain from the history, but I think you know in terms of you know interacting going forward, you know we've gotten on you know obviously better terms. But the it was interesting. My uh, my friend who now lives in Vietnam fell in love with the country when he was serving there uh, in the Vietnam War. Uh, he ended up getting involved with building a children's hospital. He stayed on a little extra and kind of oh, continued wow. to sort of help with help in the community. Um, so watching or going through the museum with him, commenting on what he thought was maybe a little bit where they were kind of changing the story a little bit, yeah. um, but also where the Americans didn't quite get it, you know, didn't get it right, or you know, they saw things differently. It was fascinating to get you know a little bit more of an education and well-rounded viewpoint than what I got in a textbook at school. So if you had to pick your top three places you've been, ever, ever, and the top three places you want to go, okay, um, I'll start with where I've been. So. Highlight for me so far, I think, has been Halong Bay in Vietnam. Uh, just most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I felt like it was in like the land of Neverland and Peter Pan because it has these <laughs> really, it's really re- bizarre geography where these hills like jut up, you know, at a right out of the water. angle. Yeah. It's like a kid drew a hill, you know, in a picture, and just very moody place. Um, and then Positano, Italy, I went to oh, last yeah. year, uh, which I again one of the most beautiful places I've been. I was lucky enough to get booked to perform for a friend's wedding. Oh, um, nice! In Positano, Italy. It's a good uh, friend. It's a good friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was amazing. Just beautiful countryside. I'm trying to think of my third one. Um, I mean, I loved Paris uh, when I went there. I mean, that that was uh, that one. I didn't get booked there, but I just took a trip there recently. <laughs> you know, when I was when I was living in London, I took a three day trip to Paris and loved it. And... Did you do the channel? I still haven't done it. No, I didn't. No, I took a plane. Yeah, yeah it was cheaper, I think, to do the plane. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, EasyJet. Yeah, made that a lot easier. Yeah, and Ryanair and all those. Exactly. I, in terms of where I'd like to go in the future, um, uh, I'd love to go to uh, Morocco. Yeah, me too. I still haven't been. Yeah, I haven't spent any time in Africa really at all. I did, uh, I've been to South Africa. Okay. And then uh, I just did, uh, a couple years ago, I I climbed Kilimanjaro and then Uh, so I did Tanzania and Kenya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, yeah, there's so much. And it's massive. You know, Africa's huge. People don't realize how big it is. Yeah, yeah. I think you can fit in the US and Europe inside. Yeah, it's it's massive. Yeah. But North Africa is completely different than South Africa. And so, yeah, I really want to go to Morocco and, and I still haven't been to Egypt. Right. Yeah, nearby. Um, I think, I mean, also China would be, you know, on my list. China and Japan, you know, I haven't really spent any time in... You know, oh, really? Yeah, I haven't been country. to mainland China. No, I've no. been to Hong Kong and right. Taiwan, and was, which yeah, is like China-like. Kong. Done Macau, which is essentially like Las yeah. Vegas. You know, it's not really like anything really authentic. Yeah, Macau. I, yeah. I still haven't been. You right. know, when I was yeah. in Hong Kong, they said, oh, you can take a, uh, you know, little, you know, ferry to right. Macau. I was like, uh, yeah. do I? Yeah, do I, I mean, if you go, I mean, there, the reason I wanted to go is there was a, a new resort that's magic-themed. Oh really? House of Magic, and there's what was that like? Big time. It was, it's amazing. Uh, it features um, different magicians. There's this big time illusionist named Franz Harari who does these mega, like huge scale uh, illusion shows, and he's gotten a few million dollars to create his own place that has multiple theaters in it. So I just had some friends that were working there and wanted to go see him. But it's, I mean, it's very Vegasy. It's nothing. Right. You know, it's just on Vegas on steroids. Well, how does uh... We can talk about Vegas now. Yeah. It's the elephant in the room. Everybody knows yeah. Vegas. And Vegas and magic are really kind of synonymous, really. But uh, what do magicians think about Vegas, and how is it considered? Is that like a goal, or is that something everybody shoots for, or is that some uh, something you end up at when yeah. you don't want to do anything? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What's I think I think it's evolved. I think in the 90s, it was the place to be. It was the center of magic. We had Caesar's Magical Empire, which I don't know if you know or remember, but it was basically a magic-themed 
part of Caesar's Casino. Uh, they had many, you know, several different theaters that featured a lot of magicians. And because there was so much talent in there, it cr- sort of created this real community of magicians and you know this culture of, of magic and illusions. And you know we had uh, you know Siegfried and Roy playing at the time. Um, David Copperfield was going in and out. Um, there were just a lot of big magic shows. Uh, since then, I, I mean, there's a lot of show, magic shows in Vegas. It's very still much a magic city, but I don't think it has quite the amount of prestige it did, um, you know, as it did a decade ago. So from, uh, for people who are visiting Vegas, for people who are going to travel to Vegas, if they're going to see one or two magic shows, what would you recommend as yeah. a magician? Okay. Uh, my top choice would, would probably still be Mac King. I've heard um, of him. Yeah, M-A-C-K-I-N-G. He's he a, used to do a lot of comedy clubs. From, yeah, uh, yeah. 20 he, years I mean, ago. Yeah, he, he cut his teeth. I mean, that's, an, that's a perfect example, bringing our conversation full circle, mm-hmm. of a, a magician that really made a name for himself as a comic magician. And the reason he was so good is that what he, he wasn't doing what a lot of magicians do, which is good tricks and hack jokes. Uh, he, would, he approaches his comedy with just as much... Um, attention to detail as any comic would, uh, and it's all very original. And his his magic magic is very original too. And he has a great character. He kind of plays this Kentucky-born, you know, country hick, but he's secretly brilliant. You know, he has this <laughs> guy of you know. You think, oh, you know, you're the smartest one in the room, and then you know, by the halfway through, you realize that it's all a facade, and he knows exactly what's going on. Um, but he's brilliant. I mean, his show is just honed, you know, amazingly well. It's really tight. Um, and it's a cheap ticket, but it's the best afternoon show I think you can go see in Vegas. That's what I remember about it. It's in the afternoon. Is it, yeah. is it Harris? It's at Harris. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The improv was at Harris for so long. Right, and that he was working that room yeah. for a long time, and then he, they moved him up into the bigger theater. So in terms of you know uh, the greatest magic act you've never heard of, he's the one that I would suggest go to. Um, of course, you you know people have heard of Penn and Teller and David Copperfield and Chris Angel, who all have their own shows. Um, if I was going to recommend one of them. It'd be a toss-up, probably, between Penn and & Teller and David Copperfield, but I'd probably go with Penn & Teller. They're two um, completely different types. Completely different. Yeah, they're kind of frenemies. <laughs> it depends on, yeah, it depends on what you're into. Yeah, I mean, if you want, ma- if you want magic to be the answer to, you know, you know, anything is possible and live your dreams, and you want smoke in your hair and, you know, yeah. you know nostalgia, Practical. go see David Copperfield. Uh, if you want to be told that everything is a lie and you're getting scammed <laughs> and uh, there is no God and here's, here's why, we'll tell it through magic, go see Penn & Um, I regard both of them in the highest regard. I mean, both of them have, you know, great material. Uh, They know how to tell a story. Um, I think Penn and Teller are doing a little bit better job at staying culturally relevant uh, more than David Copperfield is. But I still have a soft spot for David because I grew up watching his shows. (laughs) So how long are you going to be on the ships right now? I mean, do you have like contracts up to the end of the year? Uh, Yes and no. I'm on this ship uh, through mid-August on the Volendam in Alaska. Um, I've got a few other dates uh, in December. The moment the the fall is looking relatively light from a cruise ship standpoint, I've got some other corporate bookings, and I'd like to start doing more colleges as well, um, just as a completely different, you know, going from performing for 70 and 80-year-olds on a ship to performing for, you know, 20-year-olds, I think will keep me balanced. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm just excited to take my show in different areas. I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to get so focused on cruise ships that my show doesn't work in a college setting and in colleges you need to be a little bit more minimalist in terms of props and i think i'd like to have you know different shows that work in different venues and you know i'm at the early stages of kind of crafting those different different sets that's awesome so where can uh, people find you online do you have a website are you on twitter or anything yep i am on all the things you can find my website which is uh don't look at it it's terrible it needs work <laughs> but it's uh trigmagic.com hopefully it'll look better in the next two g's months. 
two G's. Give it a couple months. Exactly. T-R-I-G-G <laughs> magic.com. But I'm, I'm much better about keeping my, you know, the other social platforms update updated, uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, my YouTube channel is Trig Magic, and I actually recently posted a TV appearance on there. You can check that out. Um, but all my other, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, Periscope are all at Trig Watson. Uh, T-R-I-G-G-W-A-T-S-O-N. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, my It was pleasure. a pleasure to meet you this yeah, week. pleasure meeting you. And have a good time on the Volendam the rest of the summer. Thanks. I'm going to be on the new Amsterdam yeah. in uh, August and September. I don't know if we'll ever be in the same city. I we probably won't we be. cross paths. Would be. We're oh, going you mean to on the... We're going uh, to the same towns, but I don't know if we'll yeah, be there at the same days. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, send I'll wave a, to you from the ship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Morse code over the fog. Right. <laughs>